everyone. This is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 51. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end has two websites, the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Rucker, scribe for The Rock Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Gary Bean and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions from spiritual seekers that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send us an email at contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we are embarking on a brand new episode of LL Research's bi-weekly podcast in the now. Gary and Jim, are you with us and ready to go? Yes, yes. Yes, I am. Alrighty, and uh, before we start, just a caveat, we are using some new audio equipment, we're getting kinks worked out, so if anything seems off, just bear with us, please. Um, uh, jump into our first question, uh, today comes from Ted via email, and Ted writes to us, in the raw material, 47.8, seven bodies which a soul inhabits are described, from red ray chemical body, first, to Green Ray Astral Body, 4th, and to the Violet Ray Buddha Body, 7th. I can't help but to speculate that the seven body vehicles are associated with the first seven densities of the Law of One. At the third density, the dominant body is physical vehicle. When one graduates from the third density into the fourth density, it would be the Green Ray Astral Body who who will be dominant on a soul and the astral dimension will be the home of such soul. For Ra, who is from the sixth density, its dominant body would be the indigo ray etheric. As described by Ra, etheric body is a gateway vehicle, while the sixth density being is in vibration with the law of one. Both descriptions seem closely related to each other. I'm wondering whether there is any place within the raw materials, or Kuo quotes, which may be incongruence or counter-congruence to my speculation. One implication of this piece of information is that it may help bring congruence of many contemporary religious, spiritual, and exoteric teachings, I wonder if he means esoteric, uh, body vehicles, to those of the Law of One. So, that's a long question. Don't know how much we might have to say specifically, but we'll start with you, Jim. What do you think? Well, I think in general, he's probably correct, but on both ends of the scale, uh, I think we have anomalies. Starting off in the first density, we have earth, wind, fire, and water. Um, we don't have any body really going on there. I think that uh, the uh, water and earth are going to become the body in the second density, but there has to be a transformation occur before that can happen. So in the first density, I don't think we have what we would consider bodies. 
that are uh, correlating to the red ray. But in second density, Ra mentioned the polymorphous dinoflagellate had an orange ray energy center, and it is existing as a creature of second density, a, a, a single-cell creature. So there, I think, uh, is some uh, confirmation of what he was talking about so that we have a, a body that corresponds to the second density. And, of course, in our third density, we know that we inhabit a yellow ray body. But there's also an anomaly in the third density because we have uh, the doubly activated bodies of the uh, entities that have been able to graduate third density on another planet and come here early to Earth's third density and have the uh, considered a privilege and an honor to be able to partake in what's uh, a difficult harvest into the fourth density. So these entities have uh, both the third and the fourth density bodies uh, activated. From 63.13, Ross says, These entities are those incarnating with what you may call a double body in activation. It will be noted that the entities birthing these fourth density entities experience a great feeling of, shall we say, the connection and the use of spiritual energies during pregnancy. This is due to the necessity for manifesting the double body. This transitional body is one which will be, shall we say, able to appreciate fourth density laboratory complexes as the in-streaming increases without the accompanying disruption of the third density body. If a third density entity were, shall we say, electrically aware of fourth density in full, the third density electrical fields would fail due to incompatibility. So in third density, now at least at the end of the third density, we have a, a third density entity that's uh, hoping to graduate, and then a third slash fourth density entity that has graduated on another planet and are here. As far as fifth density bodies go, uh, when Ra was asking or answering our questions about our negative friend of fifth density, um, Don asked, well, which body with respect to the colors does this entity use to travel to us in 67.6? And Ross says, this query is not particularly simple to answer due to the transdimensional nature not only of space-time to time-space, but from density to density. The time-space light or fifth-density body is used, while the space-time fifth-density body remains in the fifth density. So it, this is a correlation to what um, Ted was talking about, that we do have... Uh, a fifth density body at the fifth density level that's um, activated by those entities. As far as sixth density, um, I can assume that what he is saying is correct and that Ra would probably be constantly in the indigo ray body because it's the body that has to do with what they're up to. And it's the beingness of the entity and the creator that is discovered within each entity that's manifested there, what we would call magic, the ability to create changes in consciousness at will. And then the uh, seventh density presents that other anomaly because uh, in 32.8, Ra mentions in the uh, seventh density there is not this particular energy exchange as it is unnecessary to recycle body complexes. So uh, we would have a, a mind and a spirit, but no body in the seventh density. So should we say nobody's home? No, let's not say that. Um, so that's what I've got. How about you, Gary? Uh, the definition of conjecture that I just looked up on my phone is an opinion or conclusion formed on the basis of incomplete information. And that is what I have to offer this question. Um, I don't even, I'm not even sure I have enough to go on to, to reach the level of conjecture. But um, th the one quote that I built my reply on came from 659 and uh, Don is asking, could you tell me why the wanderer loses his memory? And Ra says, the reason is twofold. First, the genetic properties of the connection between the mind-body-spirit complex and the cellular 
structure of the body is different for third density than for third slash fourth density. By third slash fourth, they're talking about the dual activated entities. Secondly, the free will of the third density entities needs be preserved. Thus, wanderers volunteer for third density genetic or DNA connections to the mind-body-spirit complex. The forgetting process can be penetrated to the extent of the wanderer remembering what it is and why it is upon the planetary sphere. However, it would be an infringement if wanderers penetrated the forgetting so far as to activate the more dense bodies and thus be able to live, shall we say, in a godlike manner. This would not be proper for those who have chosen to serve. Um, so, I, based on that reply, I don't think that there is a one-to-one correlation between the... Um, the subtle bodies that correspond to the chakras in third density, like the astral body of green ray, the devaconic body of the blue ray, and the formaker or etheric body of indigo ray, or the Buddha body of violet ray. I don't think there's a one-on-one correlation between those subtle bodies and the bodies that we inhabit in higher densities, the fifth density body and sixth and seventh and so forth. <clears throat> Or as Jim was saying, if there you know, even is a body at seventh density, um, for that reason, we don't activate. Or we we cannot. We can definitely um, inhabit our astral body and uh, use that accordingly. Same with the devocanic body and explore the planes therein. But we can't activate the fourth density body here in third density because, as Ra said, it, the entity would live in a godlike manner. Um, you know, that's, uh, so what was I saying? Perhaps then, um, these, these subtle bodies like the astral, devocanic and so forth are something of a time space equivalent of the space time, higher density bodies. I don't know, but, um, that's all I got. Sorry, Ted, back <laughs> to the host. Um, I'm not sure if there's too much more I could offer. Uh, you both used quotes that I had gathered for <laughs> this. And um, there's not a whole lot. We don't know that anything for sure. It would be cool if um, there was an exploration in the raw material about what exactly these bodies were and what exactly the higher density bodies were. But I'm in general agreement in that um, there might be a correlation, as I think there's uh, correlations uh, between anything in the universe like this from microcosm to macrocosm the densities are correlated to the chakras are correlated to the body so uh, there's certainly a correlation that's interesting to look at but I don't think that the bodies described in the uh, Q&A that Ted references are the same as higher density bodies Um, I think that you guys both did a pretty good job of making a case for my argument so thank you uh, I guess we can move on to Ted's uh, second question that he sent in, in which he writes, In the raw material, 42.15 and 47.8, a Buddha is described as all being in one, and the body which is complete, respectively. In Buddhist teachings, when one reaches a Buddha state, it is believed that he or she has achieved full completion having learned all the lessons that he or she has learned through his or her incarnations. 
Here she has the true understanding of the cosmic laws, able to manifest Im- immense love, compassion, and wisdom, as well as godly power that transcends time and space, so as to guide needy souls anywhere in the universe. I would be interested to know whether Kuo or any from Sixth Density has shared more information about the Buddha state, the path of completion, and achieving the state of all being in one. Some implications of this piece of information is that it may help bring fresh perspectives as to how one should be living and practicing their spirituality in their life. There could also be certain teachings of the Buddha when viewed together with perspectives of the Law of One to be extremely enlightening to both the Law of One followers as well as millions of Eastern religions followers around the world. We'll pass this one over to Gary first. Uh, Firstly, I agree with you, Ted, that um, when viewed together, as you said, the the Buddhist perspective and the Law of One, or rather... Uh, the Buddhist perspective could illuminate the law of one and vice versa. And um, I have lamented more than once in the past that uh, Don didn't um, ask questions about the Buddha, not uh, necessarily Buddhist, uh, Buddhism, the the teaching of the religion, but uh, rather the Buddha and his path and maybe something of what he taught. Um, and then, uh, I, unfortunately, I've only crossed paths with Buddhism here and there, same as I have with Hinduism and, and Christianity, just bits and pieces. I've never made like a methodical study of it. Um, I resonate a lot with, um, certain aspects of the teaching that I have come across. I, I would venture that, um, it has a lot of elements in alignment with or congruence with the law of one. And when I think of the Buddha, I think of 48.10, where um, Don asks, could you tell me how the various bodies read through violet are linked to the energy center centers read through violet? Are they linked in some way? Um, you didn't read this one, Jim, did you? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> for the previous question. Ra says, as we have noted, each of the true color densities has these seven energy centers and each entity contains all this in potentiation. The activation, while in yellow ray, of violet ray intelligent infinity is a passport to the next octave of experience. Uh, Ra doesn't indicate... I believe by next octave of experience, Ra means like the next set of seven densities, but they have used octave in reference to a density, um, because a density in and of itself is a, is a, a micro-octave, because it has seven sub-densities within it, uh, on and on infinitely. But anyways, Ross says, passport to the next octave of experience. There are adepts who have penetrated many, many of the energy centers and several of the true colors. This must be done with utmost care while in the physical body, for, as we have noted, when speaking of the dangers of linking red-orange-yellow circuitry, with true color blue circuitry, the potential for disarrangement of the mind-body-spirit complex is great. However, the entity who penetrates intelligent infinity is basically capable of walking the universe with unfettered tread. So far as I understand, the Buddha is like Christhood, is a state of consciousness or a stateless state of consciousness. 
um, <clears throat> that has transcended all illusions, dismantled the veil, and penetrated intelligent infinity insofar as um, the third density entity is is capable and um, sees through every l- layer of the dream. The, the Buddha is someone who is awoken and uh, is no longer suffering. Um, the Buddha is someone who understands that they are one with all things, that they are the creator, that nothing in their experience is anything other than the creator. The Buddha sees to the true heart of every moment, which is infinity and, and eternity. The, the blinders of separation have been completely removed. Um, otherwise, uh, Quo... Actually, Austin was going to talk a bit about this one, this uh, session, so I'll stop off there. Sorry if I sound a little scattered right now. I am a little scattered. (laughs) But um, back to the host. Thank you for that, and thank you also for stealing my quotes again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jim, uh, what do you think about that one? Well, how about we go back to you so you can use what quotes you have left, and I'll bring up the rear. (laughs) Um, Gary pretty much took care of that for me. Yeah, go ahead. You were going to talk about uh, April 2nd, 2011, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did have that, I yeah. guess. Um, well, Carlos last channeling. Oh. I think it was oh. second to last. I think there was one more after. No, that's it. That was it? Yeah. Huh. Wow. She um, had her surgery two weeks later. Well, uh, go ahead with your answer, Jim. I'll, I'll carry up the rear. Okay. Uh, just for information for our uh, listeners, we have a friend in California, Lee Horseman, lives in El Cajon, for the last uh, two to three years, he has been writing what uh, we would probably be able to use here, which is a comparison of Hinduism, Buddhism, and the Law of One. And he's uh, taken a lot of time to study both uh, Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, going to India and traveling around that area and spending time with various gurus, and getting himself steeped in the, uh, the history and the, uh, the mystical nature of these ways of seeking the truth. And, of course, he's always been a Law of One student, so we have that to look forward to. Um, in 34.2, um, Don is asking about um, the penetration of the eighth level or intelligent infinity. He says, uh, penetration of the intelligent infinity level allows a mind-body-spirit complex to be harvested if it wishes at any time space during the cycle. When this penetration of the eighth level occurs, what does the entity who penetrates this experience experience? <laughs> Can you tell me this? I am Ra. The experience of each entity is unique in perception of intelligent infinity. Perceptions range from a limitless joy to a strong dedication to service to others while in the incarnated state. The entity which reaches intelligent infinity most often will perceive this experience as one of unspeakable profundity. However, it is not usual for the entity to immediately desire the cessation of the incarnation. Rather, the desire to communicate or use this experience to aid others is extremely strong. In other uh, areas of discussing this contact with intelligent infinity, Ross said that service to others is automatic at this point, so that the positively oriented entity would want to come back and to share what he or she has found there because it is such of a, a glorious nature. They see the connection with everyone and everything, that they want to serve everyone and everything. They just want to give uh, glory to the creator that they see everywhere. Uh, whereas I'm sure the negatively oriented entity has the opposite reaction. They say, oh, yeah, got it. I'm on my way. <laughs> and uh, they go off on their own and do their own thing. So um, I think that 
that's what every religion is seeking. And all religions or mystical ways of seeking the truth have various ways of describing this concept of unity or union with one creator. The whole field of yoga is a study of how to become one with the creator. Yoga means union. So keep that in mind and then keep in mind that all the mystical traditions on the planet have always felt that the creator was not only in everything but in everyone. And each person had the ability to discover this creator within. And the technique that's most usually utilized is that of meditation so that we can begin to listen more to the the inclinations, the inklings, the intimations, and occasionally the information that comes to us from the one creator. And um, my favorite mystical teacher, Joel Goldsmith, uh, believes that the still small voice inside that so many people refer to is the one creator speaking to you. That uh, That's differentiated from one's intuition, that um, you can get information from your own subconscious as well through intuition. But there is that still small voice that gives you very clear direction, and uh, that is the beginning of the contact with the one creator. Okay, Austin, your turn. Well, I'm glad that you went before me because I think that... Um I kind of have something that might tie those two answers together. Um, in reference to the quote that Gary used, where Ra talks about the entity who penetrates intelligent infinity being capable of walking the universe with unfettered tread, um, this sounds a bit to me like what Ted was talking about, referencing godlike powers. Um, and some people, I think, have taken uh, this to mean that this entity can then basically teleport anywhere around the universe. And I think that's definitely a possible explanation because they didn't really give any specifics about what they were talking about. And uh, to literally interpret that would mean that they can basically do anything they want. Um, but what I think is a more relevant and applicable interpretation, uh, and maybe equally true, is that the um, instead of teleportation the entity, uh, rather their tread, is unfettered by catalyst, and they simply see all things as love. And there is nothing that they can encounter upon their journey which hinders their ability to love and to serve. And this also relates to what uh, Ted was talking about when they say that they've finished their cycle of reincarnation. At least for third density, Ra talks about how when an entity reaches this point of uh, balance to... Uh, where they can do that is that then the density is no longer needed. They don't need the third density catalyst anymore, and then they can uh, be harvested. Uh, so there is that, but then there's also another aspect uh, regarding these godlike abilities, uh, and Jim was sort of touching on this, uh, where there was one point where Ra talked about um, contact with indigo ray, or uh, contact with intelligent infinity. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to manifest in any particular uh, gift or guidepost. And they talk about some entities who reach this point um, manifest it through pure being rather than showing what might be considered godlike powers. And I don't know um, enough about Buddhism to know exactly what the Buddha did. I'd imagine uh, that the godlike powers were rather magnificent and incredible. But um, perhaps some people who might reach that point could have 
some sort of godlike powers like healing abilities and something like that. But uh, this godlike ability might not need to manifest in ways that seem miraculous to us. Maybe it is simply an ability to live our lives without any sort of um, hindrance from love. So uh, that's uh, pretty much my follow-up to you guys' responses. I don't have much new to add besides that. Um, any other thoughts from you two? Um, Chloe's making a comment here with my newspaper. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's right. Um, Don had a humorous little quote that might be fitting here. He said, uh, a third-class guru says he can levitate but can't. A second-class guru says he can levitate and does. A first-class guru can levitate but doesn't. That's interesting. I've heard uh, some purring coming in now and then, and I just assume that Chloe approves of the job we're doing. She's very excited about it. <laughs> um, I thought that was you purring, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to add briefly that um, Scott Mandelker is a person who spent a lot of time in the East studying Buddhism, I believe some branch of Theravada Buddhism, um, and um, has brought to bear, has has made a rather unique synthesis, synthesis of the Law of One teaching with Eastern thought. And uh, so far as I know, other than, uh, as Jim mentioned, uh, Lee Horseman, whose work I have not seen, but um, uh, Mandelker is the only one I'm aware of who has um, made that sort of synthesis. And I have found value in it in years past and helping to shine a light on the law of a material in, in a very helpful way. But that's it for me. And I, guess he, I don't know his website, but easily found by just searching Scott Mandelker on Google, I think. Uh, his book was um, Universal Vision, Soul Evolution, and the Cosmic Plan that... Um, that in one place does all of what I was just describing. Alrighty. Well, I think we have time for one more question. Um, so we'll move on to our next questioner, who is Arnold, who sent in some questions via email. And uh, the, he sent a series of questions. I think we'll only get to this first one today. And he asks... Why do the teachings encourage, or at least imply, a bias towards service to others over service to self, especially when the law of one is ultimately being free of distortion? We are told that there is no right or wrong, so then why do the teachings favor one service of, over the other? Does it not create confusion to imply one is better than the other? Jim, what do you think? Well, um, in uh, 90.21... Don is asking, uh, Ra, then what you're saying is that once the path is recognized, either the positive or the negatively polarized entity can find hints along his path as to the efficiency of that path. Is this correct? I am Ra. That which you say is correct upon its own merits, but is not a repetition of our statement. Our suggestion was that within the experiential nexus of each entity, within its second density environment, and within the roots of mind, there were placed biases indicating to the watchful eye the more efficient of the two paths. Let us say, for want of a more precise adjective, that this Logos has a bias towards kindness. So I think that uh, one of the reasons that Ra is concentrating upon the path of the, uh, well, we got information on the service to others path, is because 
the Logos has also put a bias towards that path in the creation. And uh, plus, we were service to others' entities, and Ra described the negative path as the path of that which is not, which is separation. The creation is made of one being, and everything is, is one. But the negative path can take the appearance of separation and enhance it to the degree that a path can be traveled that is um, the dark path, the path of service to self. And the path of service to others was described by Ra as the path of that which is. So that path ref reflects the uh, total unity of the creation, the fact that it's all made out of light by the power of love and through the free will of the Creator. So I think there's a lot of good reason for why the service to others path is the one focused on. I think plenty of mention was made of the negative path. If nothing else, we had to be talking about our friend of negative polarity who was always trying to stop the raw contact. So I think we gave the loyal opposition a chance to speak. <laughs> Barry, what do you think? That was um, a great inclusion of the bias of the Logos quote. Um, do you think that Ra is talking about our particular logos or like the great um, original logos? I believe they're talking about the great original logos because our local logos is a sub-logos. Yeah, that's how I thought they usually referred to it, to sun bodies as sub-logoi. Huh. Um, well... To build off of the second part of Jim's reply, when Jim described uh, how Ra talked about the paths being the path of that which is and that which is not, uh, my reply uh, expands on that. And I would agree uh, with your statement in, in saying that you are right that the law of one does not favor or, I might add, disfavor one path or the other. As Ra said, the law of one blinks neither at the light or the darkness, but is available for service to others and service to self. Um, as to Ra's teachings, Ra, Ra's teaching is a function of who they are, where they are, what they are, what they understand, and so forth. And what they teach is, as Jim was saying, what is. And what is, um, if I can do it injustice with a few crew words, what is is a creation of unity, of oneness, of love, of light, and of joy. What is is infinity and eternity. And what is is a, is a cosmos that became self-aware in the first primal distortion of free will, then found its focus in the second primal distortion of love, and then built the creation of light by love acting through free will. So Ra is only teaching what is according to their level of experience and understanding. And I would contend that they do not precisely favor the service to others path, but as they teach unity... And as the service to others path seeks to understand unity, it is the service to others path that will be attracted to Ra's information. And you could um, expand this list a lot further. Uh, for instance, as Ra teaches the transcending or releasing of illusion, and as the service to others path seeks to transcend or release illusions, it is the service to others path that will be attracted to Ra's teachings. Um, Ra could not teach negative polarity information because that is not their understanding. The negative polarity seeks not to undo illusion, but to enhance, intensify, and build upon illusion. In other words, the negative polarity relies upon illusion. Um, Ra, however, does not condemn, disavow, uh, speak condescendingly of, or even discourage the negative path. They simply speak about it in a manner similar to our ideals, 
of the objective journalist in reporting impartially on events and happenings in our worlds. Um, now, whereas Ra is beyond and outside of polarity, other sources that all research has channeled, such as Hatan and Latweed, are still progressing along the path of polarity. Therefore, their teaching um, will be of a service-to-others-oriented nature designed for a service-to-others-oriented audience. Um, the same can be, said for, can be said to be true of Ra, but I think there are some, some important differences there. Um, they, however, fourth, fifth density entities, adhere to a policy close to Ra's in not condemning, disavowing, condescending to, or even discouraging the negative path. Those service to others oriented sources do definitely encourage the progression of the positive path and offer their services towards that end. Um, so, in conclusion, whatever the density of the source being channeled, the positive polarity is defined by their respect for free will. Thusly, uh, do they respect the choice of any seeker of truth, whatever polarity such a seeker chooses. And I wanted to add that this is a really good question, one that um, I, in creating my reply, considered for the very first time. So thank you for this, Arnold. And thank you for that. I, um, again, don't have a lot new to offer. Uh, reiterating maybe from a slightly different uh, perspective, maybe going into more about why the sixth density uh would not necessarily be sharing information about service to self. Um, and Jim and Gary both went over this already, but um, Ra talks about the negative path when they get to this extensity having difficulty because both of the polarities have to release their polarity and take in the other. The reason that the negative polarity has difficulty with this and the positive polarity does not is that the positive path is already attempting to accept and love all other selves, including the negative path. So releasing their polarity is sort of a natural step in line with the path they're already on. The negative path has to learn something that is completely foreign to them, how to take in other selves and accept other selves as equal parts of the creator, rather than uh, seeing them as things to control or manipulate, or as Gary described, to um, uh, bend them towards their will and illusion. Uh, so uh, I'm sort of in line with Gary and Jim here when I say that the reason Ra gave this information, one big reason Ra gave information that was slanted towards service to others is because sixth density is innately more along the lines of the service to others path, despite the fact that the sixth density has no polarity one way or the other. Um, and I think another just simple, I don't know, I didn't hear Jim or Gary mention this, but um, service to others path was the path that Ra went on themselves, so they probably don't have any experience or necessarily any uh, direct knowledge of what sort of negative information they would share. And then probably the biggest one Jim mentioned is that the group that channeled Ra was seeking in service to others. So naturally Ra was going to answer questions in light of service to others. They wouldn't necessarily give, I don't know why they would give service to self information to people who were not asking for it. 
Um, but very much like Gary, I do not think that Ra ever implied that the service to others path was better than uh, the service to self path, at least in a judgmental sense. Um, like Jim talked about, there seems to be sort of a natural slant towards service to others. But as far as the negative path being a valid and a legitimate path towards the creator and towards sixth density, Ra never indicated that it was wrong or improper to take that path. Um, they always weighted the uh, polarities as pretty much equal uh, when talking about certain types of harvest they would be equally distressed that there was no negative harvest if there was no positive harvest they wanted a harvest in general uh, not necessarily just a positive harvest so long as entities were progressing whether it's positive or negative it seemed like they were happy with that uh, not just raw but the the logos in general um, didn't care whether an entity progressed uh, service to others or service to self so um, I really don't think I, that Ra uh, biased towards service to others in a judgmental sense. I think it's just that they gave that information, and it might seem like they withheld service to self-information out of judgment, but I don't think that's the case. Um, any final thoughts on that question from either of you? Nope, I think uh, that's it. For me, two points. Y you said you described Ra withholding information about service to self. And uh, I would say that they, as Jim mentioned, they spoke a great deal about service to, uh, about the path of service to self, its workings, its objectives, how those within service to self polarize, the interaction between positive and negative, its implications and consequences and so forth. There's a ton of information about the service to self, but to, to um, maybe qualify that, what Rod didn't give was like, you know, personal tailored instructions for how um, how a seeker here on earth can go about polarizing service itself, like who they can manipulate and how to exploit their uh, a particular neighbor, or how to master a situation and so forth. Though I, I would contend that a service itself entity, um, a true SDS entity, could read the law of one material and gain quite a bit of cl clarity <laughs> about their own path and, and its mechanisms and how to progress forward. Um, that's point one. Did you have any? Did you want to reply to that, Austin? Before I move on to point two, or should I just go ahead? No. If that's a counterpoint to something I said, I'm I'm not picking that up. I'm in agreement. Okay. Um, yeah, it did um, spring off of a statement you made about Ross seeming to withhold information about service itself. And my second point was. Um, Oh my God! This is not the time to be drawing a blank. Uh, I'm, we're not live, so I'm just going to take my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not live, but I'm not going to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> what did I want to talk about? Dang! It was so clear. It's right there in my mind. <clears throat> hmm. I don't know if it's going to come to me later. It's going to drive me nuts, but I can't think of what it was now. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what the actual words that came out of my mouth were, but I didn't um, didn't mean to say that Ra withheld information um, or anything like that. Uh, not sure if I actually said that or not. Oh, yeah, you totally used the word withhold. 
Well, I, I remember using the word withhold, but I thought I was um, referring to Arnold thinking that that's what happened. Uh, okay. As arguing against the fact that they withheld information, not that they did withhold information. Uh, all right. Well, give me a good opportunity to offer a new point. Yeah. All righty. Um, <laughs> unless Gary can <clears throat> pick it out of the air, I think that that brings us up to the closing words. Jim, any final thoughts? Yes, we want to thank everybody for listening. You are our beloved audience. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. You send us questions. Please do send us more questions, by the way. And please know that we love every one of you. And that's that's a true love that uh, goes beyond time. I'm sure we're all part of the same family. And we're just talking to each other about family matters here. Y'all have a great <laughs> week. Hey, I've got it. Do you want to stay on? <laughs> <laughs> we, we can do it. Let's, let's go. It came to me. Okay, so <laughs> you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, but y- you said that um, Ra's... In relationship to Earth, Ra hoped for a harvest for third density, right? Uh, I meant sort of in a general sense, they hoped for harvests. Yeah, and they were unconcerned whether it was negative or positive. They were, um, they would be just as happy if it was negative. Um, those were the words that came out of my mouth, but it didn't convey my thoughts. But yeah, go ahead and work on that. Um, I was thinking, and uh, this is uh, speculation that um it may not be it may be grounded um or may be able to be substantiated and that is that uh social memory complex like those of ra are specifically working towards a positive um harvest and that is their goal and hope you might say um of course they wouldn't interfere per se with a negative harvest or try to obstruct that or, or stop that in any way they're ultimately they want to see everybody in third density harvested, but they are working specifically towards a um, increasing numbers of a positive harvest because that's the path that they took and that's what they feel is in alignment with um, the true nature of creation and, and so forth. Yeah, I, uh, they definitely I don't think would work towards a negative harvest, but um, and maybe more along the lines of the logos rather than raw. I don't think raw would be any uh, would be more upset about a negative harvest as they would a positive harvest. Um, that would imply a judgment value based on the path that those entities took, and they seemed to um, seemed like there was judgment value on progression versus non-progression. The logos has been working to make paths more efficient, and that's something that's always puzzled me. But uh, I don't think Ra would judge the negative path in the sense that they would not be happy with a negative harvest. Um, if they want progression, I think they'd be happy with it going one way or the other, but definitely wouldn't necessarily help a negative harvest because that's just not their nature. Yeah, I agree that they wouldn't be unhappy if, say, this this whole particular planet polarized negative. But I would contend that they would feel... Um, an ache, you might say, in their heart, because Ra described of the Confederation's aid that it is motivated by an empathy for the pain on planet Earth. They just, they used an analogy of having, um, like, a wound or an injury in the body. Like, if your arm was hurt, would you ignore it? No, you would tend to it. And that's what 
higher density entities are doing in relationship to Earth. They're tending to the, the suffering, the confusion, the, the pain here. And in the negative path is a great deal of pain and, uh, as Ra described it in higher densities, eternal disharmony. So um, if Ra saw this planet go in that direction, I'm sure there would be some empathic, you might say, uh, uh, pain on their part. To, yeah, to the extent that's possible, the sixth density. I don't know how that works. Um, that's a big uh, topic, um, and I wouldn't get into it, but I do have a short reply in that I don't think that that's really um, the type of pain that they might be responding to. There's uh, lots of pain that they wouldn't respond to. For instance, second density entity who um, broke its leg, they wouldn't come and fix that second density entity's leg because it was in pain. I think that the type of pain they responded to, they called themselves the brothers and sisters of sorrow, is the pain of uh, confusion in the sinkhole of indifference. I don't think that they would respond to pain that was, um, in a sense, wielded and controlled and worked towards a negative harvest. I think that um, as long as that pain was uh, used as catalyst towards the service to self or service to others, uh, and in a strong service to self society, I think it would be, then um, they wouldn't have the same type of response. I think that they respond to the sorrow of uh, confusion. And um, certainly service to self creates confusion in a mixed environment like we are in, but... um, if an entire planetary society had swung towards service to self, I don't think that that's the type of pain that they necessarily, um, for lack of a better word, care about. Uh, that seems cold, but um, I don't think that they would uh, necessarily respond to that. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think that's a really good point and uh, likely true. Alrighty. You have been listening to LL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you have enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. Ted and Arnold, great questions. If you'd like to send us a question for us before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon around 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we will talk with you then.